This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and in the evenings on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Tuesday. Good to be with you today. Flying solo today with Patrick. Well, I guess that's like the I'm All Alone song from Spamalot. Patrick and I are here together. Patrick, how are you today? Doing well. How are you today? I'm doing great. We've got uh, more... Uh, listener appreciation giveaways to, for the four o'clock hour uh, that we want to say thank you with. That's coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, two things I, I want to get to really before we get to one little bit of breaking news, and I want to get into that. Uh, did you watch either John Stewart on the Daily Show last night or John Oliver on last week tonight? I did not get to catch either of those. No, I'm going to be very careful how I say this because I mean the way people watch this stuff nowadays. It's not nearly as instantaneous, and there's a lot of people that, especially with Jon Stewart, who was on last night, would they be watching him today or tomorrow or the next day? So I, I'm just going to give a, a preference. I'll start with Stewart. Uh, the, for the people out there who are like, Matt, I can't believe you watched Jon Stewart. I mean, he came on his first show and he's bashed on Biden. Yeah, he did. And I under, and I said this back last week. I said, when he did this, I understand what he was doing. He was trying to basically set up that I'm just not going to be here as a Trump bashing machine, that that's not what I'm here. I'm here to look at all things, and I will criticize Joe Biden if that's the case. My biggest problem with last week's Jon Stewart Daily Show episode was that he gave a lot of validation to the her report on Biden, uh, and it basically was clearly way out of bounds and a, in a smear job by uh, the special investigator, her um, on Biden. And so the fact that he basically went and did that, that was, that was kind of weak sauce, if you ask me, but I didn't really have too much of a problem with that. And as a matter of fact, if I can make a point that of the impact that John Stewart does kind of have, there was one bit he did in that first week, that last week's show, where he basically mocked the interview with people in the diner sort of situation. And since that time, finally, people are asking, wait a second here. We have all these people going, the Republican, we're going to the, the diner to talk to people who love Trump. And someone finally asked the question, it's like, wait a second here, you're, getting, you're giving a lot of free airtime to Trump people every time you do that. And you don't basically try to do the same thing with Biden. Because I can tell you there's a bunch of diners here in Minneapolis you probably could go to and easily have a very pro-Biden experience. Yet this is kind of what they do. And so there, he does have an impact. He addresses that briefly last night. I, I'm not going to get into too much of what he said because I want you to go watch it. But 
he does, when he is at his best, he cuts to the core and explains something so simplistically that has been hard for people to wrap their heads around. And what I want you to do is, because he takes down Tucker Carlson pretty good last night. That's what he does. There gets to be a point where he is there and he brings up woke culture and Putin. And the reality is, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything more. I want you to go watch that because if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. That is one of the most salient points in modern politics I have heard. And as a matter of fact, in the craziness that's the world of Trump, that's one of the most on-point things I have heard. That was exceptional. He might have been outdone by John Oliver with the first episode of this new seasons of last week tonight, which was Sunday night. I'm not going to mention that, but it's a brutal takedown of primarily, you know, Clarence Thomas. The fun loving, you know, you know, bank account loving guy who who's all of a sudden, as soon as he became a Supreme Court justice, he had a whole bunch of millionaire and billionaire friends who are willing to bankroll everything for him. And he shows up, by the way, later in today's show. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But John Oliver does something at the end of that, which is so insane. I, I don't want to bring it up. You want to go see it. Last week tonight with John Oliver, you want to go see it. You can find it on YouTube, by the way. Usually you can find this on YouTube. And it's pretty crazy what he's doing. I cannot believe it's not illegal what he's doing. But you need to, <laughs> you need to go watch that. That's quite good. So I get it. You're upset because John Stewart, the first time he came back, was not bash was not bashing on Trump enough for your liking. Fine. I get that. The reality is is that you he still is when he's he's in his prime form and last night was absolute prime form. He is still one of the most absolute clearest voices out there in modern politics and he does not miss a step last night. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and Costa, uh, the, 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 one of the correspondents is Costa, very funny bit that he did last night as well. So you'll have to go check that out. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Um, two adults. Now, that, uh, this is the breaking news here. Uh, we were talking about the, the shooting in Kansas City that killed one and uh, wounded over 20 people. Um, the initial report was two teenagers were the shooters and that they have not been identified yet. And by the way, if you didn't see Kyle Rittenhouse, yes, that guy, the biggest loser I've ever seen, he was all upset because how come my name was released so quickly and the names of these juveniles in Kansas City is not? And someone pointed out, it's like, well, you weren't arrested in federal court, you idiot. Wisconsin allows for the naming of people charged, including minors. Missouri doesn't. And as a matter of fact, has actually some pretty serious hurdles that have to be jumped before you can name a minor that's been you know, being charged with a crime. So it, this is not about you being persecuted, you idiot. When you decided to murder some people in the streets of Wisconsin, you did it in Wisconsin, not Missouri. You would have had more anonymity in Missouri if you would have done your crime well, acquitted because the judge was in on the wink wink but you get my point anyway the last we known about the kansas city shooting after the super bowl parade 
was that it was two teens. Now, two adults have been arrested in the shooting. Dominic Miller and Lindale Mays each face charges of second-degree murder, two counts of armed criminal action, and unlawful use of a weapon. Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker said, noting that parade-goer Lisa Lopez-Galvin was fatally shot by a bullet from Miller's gun, Dominic Miller. So there, you know, so it's two adults now have been charged. It appears Mays was in a verbal argument at the parade with someone he had no prior history with. Baker said in the news conference, that argument very quickly escalated to Mays pulling out his handgun and almost immediately others pulled out their firearms, including Miller, Baker said. Both men in the hospital for injuries sustained in the shooting, Baker said. Both are being held on $1 million bond, according to Baker. Wow. Kansas, Missouri, Kansas City and Missouri sound great, don't they? That guns everywhere world, that's, that's, one guy gets into a, they get into, I want to make sure we understand, you are at a Super Bowl celebration. Everyone should be happy. And for some reason, these guys get angry and everyone pulls a gun. And the next thing you know, there are 20 some dead or 20 some injured people. One dead. Two juvenile suspects who were taken into custody last week on gun-related charges and resisting arrest. We seek to hold every shooter accountable for their actions, Baker said Tuesday. So it's not saying that the two kids didn't fire their weapons. They could be in part of the mass, you know, shootout that occurred in Kansas City. Uh, It could have been that, but it sounds like they've identified at least the bullet that killed the DJ came from Dominic Miller's um, gun. The effort to dedicated hours spent to expeditiously investigate the senseless act of violence is extremely commendable, Lopez Galvin's relative said in a statement. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly has ordered flags to be flown at half-staff on Sunday, remember remembrance of Lopez Galvin. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's the latest on that. And once again, it's, it's two adults, and it sounds like for sure... They know um, that Dominic Miller was the person that shot and killed Lisa Lopez Galvin. So, yeah, for for sure. And Lindale Mays. Mays was the one that instigated the conflict. Miller was the one. And I'm guessing that bullets from both of their guns ended up wounding and injuring many other people. So, and once again, I think this is the beginning because you could have, it could be a case where these two other individuals who the teenagers who were tackled and arrested, it could be a situation where they as well could be charged with attempted murder because they fired rounds too. 952-946-6205, It, it, once again, piggybacking on what I said yesterday, and we were talking extensively because not only did you have this shooting, but you had a Waffle House that got shot up in Indianapolis, and you had the Burnsville shooting in Minnesota where the two police officers and a first responder were killed. And I want to make sure we understand, because I've had people say, Matt, you're for freedom of speech. Absolutely, yes. Well, it's the same thing. I said, okay, no, it's not. If I have some sort of Greek god power where I can say, go to sleep, and someone goes to sleep, yeah, then my freedom of speech needs to be regulated a little bit. I can sit here and spew talking points. You know what I'm not spewing? Bullets. 
it's you you want to remove the lethality of the gun from the equation and you cannot do that that is not it's not a you know a a, a child's magic wand for god's sakes it's not it is something which is incredibly dangerous i have said before and for the folks in chicago i'm a veteran of the u.s army one of the first things you do when you start doing weapons training is they take you out and he shot a an ammo box full of water there he said i remember the guy said we tried to get a watermelon we could not find a watermelon so we're going to do this with an ammo box so it was an ammunition box made of metal filled with water and he shot it and the hole it left out the back side of it was insane and it would it, it very clear that the point they were making is there is no such thing as what you see in the movies where guys get shot nine, ten times and they're still coming. No, this does an insane one bullet does an insane amount of damage. And you more than likely are going to go into shock very quickly if you have been shot. So just keep that in mind. No, these are dangerous, dangerous things. And once again, we have done over and over and over again what the Republicans wanted us to do, which is guns everywhere with no restrictions. And this sucks. This is actually getting worse. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. I'm Here on your Tuesday. Good to have you with us today. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, I want to... <laughs> um, let's just briefly mention Donald Trump sneakers. Now, I don't know about you. Um, <laughs> when I think of athletic shoes, you know, the the person I think of is Donald Trump. Yeah. You know? Did you notice that the gold on the shoes, which looks atrocious, almost matches that golden turnish brown that he's got on his face there? It's it's it is pretty close. He held it up. I'm like, wow, that's it's almost like camouflage there. It's not a good look. Uh, it's not a good look. Anyway. For all you people out there, and, and I, I've said this, I posted this up on social media when I saw the story break yesterday. There is no doubt in my mind there are going to be people who are buying these shoes who are then going to turn around and complain, I'm about to buy groceries, can't afford groceries today. You can't? Well, your golden shoes, basically. Never mind. It will be months before buyers might receive Donald Trump's exclusive line of sneakers. <laughs> According to the fine print on Trump sneakers website, which once again, it requires you to read, which by the way, if I can just say this whole thing with guns and these trolls that are out there, they're not even reading their own posts. So Trump Trump's figured out a way around these guys because, and, and by the way, isn't this really actually something because he's realized with his supporters, they won't read anything. They see shiny object me get. And they do it. And he can put any disclaimers on that site that he wants to and get away with it. When it comes to 
building documents in New York where people have a tendency of looking those over more interestingly and determining what can and cannot be enforced, and eh, not so much. According to the fine print of the Trump Sneakers website, it could take up to five months for customers to receive their purchases. Some products could take even longer. Trump Sneakers are expected to start shipping in July 2024 for the gold high tops. <laughs> uh, can you imagine him on a basketball court? Uh, uh, so it's, uh, these steps are so wide. Uh, the POTUS 45 red knit and uh, white knit and red wave knit are expected to ship in August of 2024, a statement on the website said. The statement did not rule out additional delays. Shipping and delivery dates are estimates only and cannot be guaranteed. We are not liable for any delays in shipment, the sign print noted. The website also explained why the gold sneakers took so long to produce. The sneakers are made to order, the website claimed. When you, you checked out, it will be able to order any size that you want, meaning there is no chance a size can sell out unless the whole collection sells out. The images shown are for illustration purposes only and may not be the exact representation of the product. But the fine print assured customers the sneakers would be special. Our official Donald J. Trump sneakers and fragrances. Yikes. Ugh. Ugh. Smells like burnt orange. Um, fragrances are a tribute to our Trump legacy. Also, it smells like a corpse flower. Uh, blending premium craftsmanship with a distinctive style, the document insisted. Our sneakers are designed to stand out with bold elements like the gold 45 and the American flag symbolizing leadership and patriotism. Uh, the set also ruled out the possibility of refunds. <laughs> uh, there are no refunds. All sales on GetTrumpSneakers.com are final. Trump sneaker sales come on the heels of more than $350 million fraud ju judgment for the New York judges said a widespread pattern of financial fraud at Trump organization. Trump was attacked. The verdict is vowing to appeal. Now, I should mention something about that appeal. He has to put forward something like $400 million in a bond for him to be able to appeal. That That's the law in New York, that you cannot just appeal because I'm going to guess and just, you know, and usually the stuff is, is dictated through legal matters, um, that probably at some point someone had a judgment against them appealed lost the appeal and then said well all my money's gone because i used it on lawyers and so now if he wants to appeal there has to be a fund set aside where most of the the of the settlement has been secured which i'm going to guess was somewhere around 80 to 90 percent of what he owes has to be secured before he can file an appeal so in case he loses the appeal he basically, he can't argue he doesn't have the money to pay people. To my knowledge, today, he has not yet formally filed an appeal. And a lot of people have said, that's, you know, and this, this is not necessarily Trump. This is for a lot of really wealthy people. It's not like they have piles of cash sitting around. Most of it is an entire investment accounts or in property or stuff like this. It's not saying that Trump can't get that money. It just is he needs to get that money before he can appeal. Um... Let's go back to the sneakers for a second. I want to make sure we understand. He has said, basically, it could take a long time for you to get them. They are, there's a decent chance they're not going to look like the sneakers that you purchased, and all sales are final. That the minute you put $350 in there, 
that 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 is basically all sales are final. There are also some people that are speculative that the company that is producing them is notorious for making the really cheap shoes that fall apart. If you've, if you've ever been like me and you had real little kids, you would go to like a Target and you would buy kids' shoes knowing that as your kids' feet were growing, knowing that no matter what, you're going to have to replace these shoes probably within six months anyway because your kids' feet were growing. And so the fact that you saw a shoe that within two to three months was already starting to show some serious wear, you that was okay because you know you had to just get it to the point where I have to get the next size shoe and we'll be done. And that was kind of the case. That Apparently, that's one of the companies here. It, it, it just... The insanity of all this, the fact that this is a guy that's running for president who couldn't run three steps if his life depended on it. And he couldn't. He could not run three. I'm, I'm dead serious. Donald Trump could not run three steps if his life depended on it. Just couldn't. And yet he is putting out an athletic shoe <laughs> for this folks just this is the, the thing which is funny i'm laughing about this it, it, it is one of those light and airy trump stories trump is really actually a monster he's a monster he's a horrible he's a biblical villain and stories like this he's doing because he's trying to convince you once again of what i have said joe biden is a at worst at worst an arby's beef and cheddar sandwich Donald Trump is an actual crap sandwich. Feces between two pieces of bread. It is unedible. It's not food. And yet his supporters are eagerly looking for a third serving. They have to convince you that the crap sandwich is more edible than the actual food item is. That's what they have to do. And they somehow successfully did that in 2016. You need to be aware. I'm, I'm seeing it every day, particularly on Twitter. These people that are trying hardest to say, I'm a liberal and I hate Joe Biden. They're trying to convince people to go against their best instincts and best wishes. So just be careful. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting in the evening, WCPT 20 Chicago's Progressive Talk, and in the afternoon on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Tuesday, 952-946-6205. Uh, so sanity might have returned to Frogtown over there, a uh, Chicago to your north, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul to our east, Wisconsin. Yes, that Wisconsin, uh, where it, no matter where you're from in the United States, you will go there and say, wow, these people drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is that a, a, a 12 year old with a cocktail uh okay all right yeah drinking problem you say really huh hard, hard to believe um yeah <laughs> hey i've got family over there i've got friends over there i lived there for a while yeah that's wisconsin 
Democratic Governor Tony Evers signed a new state voting maps on Monday morning, which he had proposed and which were passed by the Wisconsin legislature, creating a new legislative districts in time for the 2024 election cycle before the Wisconsin Supreme Court was to choose new maps. The legislative maps represent a break in Wisconsin Republicans' grip on legislative power and give Democrats the chance to win additional seats and majorities in the legislature for the first time in over a decade. We should be known that Democrats basically, the number of votes in Wisconsin for Democrats over Republicans is somewhere in the realm of, depending on the election, 55 to 60 percent of the vote is Democrat, but the overwhelming majority of the house the or excuse me the assembly the assembly in wisconsin and the senate there have been republican and the reason why is you need to look at what they did they went in with a scalpel they brought up they must have brought up massive maps to go neighborhood by neighborhood saying okay this person this 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 area over here leans a little more right we'll put those in over in this one this was left and they've did what other states have done. I mean, we should remind you, Austin, Texas, still to this date, does not have its own congressional individual. Actually, I think they changed that. Didn't they change it? I thought there was a lawsuit that made them r- draw a district of Austin itself. That they, for a long time, the city of Austin was split between eight different Republican other, other districts to, to stop them from having Republic- or Democrats representing them. And it is remarkable to me that when you look at such facts that you, of what has gone on in Wisconsin, that they that the, the Republican majorities in there have ever had the audacity to insist that they are speaking for the masses. Should reminder, when they when they lost the Supreme Court in Wisconsin, that Voss was apparently on the verge of impeaching the newly elected Supreme Court justice until like David Prosser. Do you remember Prosser was that Supreme Court justice that choked another Supreme Court justice, conservative, choked another justice in an elevator. He came on out and said, that's too extreme. So they had to kind of accept the fact that they lost and they also I'd also heard from Wisconsin that the Republicans in Wisconsin had done such a poor job of of, of kind of keeping their base together that if they would have done that, that it would actually doom them one way or the other, that that they would have even lost these gerrymandered Republican districts. Enough of them would have gone and they would have been in big trouble. So they decided just to basically try to look like they're taking the high road. That being said, the Supreme Court plays a role here. Um. It's a new day in Wisconsin. Evers said at a press conference at the state capitol that cheers the surrounding advocates. To me, the decision to enact these maps boils down to this. I made a promise to the people of Wisconsin that I would always try to do the right thing. And keeping that promise to me matters, even if the members of my own party disagree with me. The state Supreme Court declared Wisconsin's legislative maps unconstitutional in December. The maps, which heavily favored Republicans, were widely seen as among the most gerrymandered in the country. The new maps signed by Evers were proposed as one of the several options for justices to consider. In their decision, the state Supreme Court urged the state legislature and Evers to pass the maps while at the same time setting up the process using experts hired by the court to help the justices choose new maps if the legislature and the governor could not agree. 
Lawmakers passed Evers' maps unchanged last week after Evers vetoed their first attempt to implement a version of the maps that Democrats said protected Republican incumbents. The maps passed in a mostly party-line vote last week. I wanted fair maps, not maps that are just better for one party or the other, including my own, Evers said. Wisconsin is not a red state and it's not a blue state. Wisconsin's a purple state, and I believe our maps should reflect that a basic fact. I believe the people should get to choose their elected officials, not the other way around. Republicans said they would rather have the maps picked through the legislative process rather than by the state Supreme Court. Some lawmakers also expressed fears the court would choose maps which were far worse for the Republicans, which I could kind of see happening. (coughs) Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, who is really a horrible human being, said in a statement that Evers signed the most Republican-leaning maps out of all the Democratic jury maps being considered. No, they weren't Democratic jury. You're lying. The undoing of your Republican gerrymandered maps. That's what we were undoing. And once again, it takes a brazen individual to have such, to have even Republicans knowledge, yep, these are unfair maps and we don't care because we get elected. For him to have that basically called out and stopped and more fair maps put into place, the Democrats are gerrymandering the state. I, you know, for God's sakes, I remember when Republicans pulled up one or two really bizarre shaped districts, I'm not going to deny it, in the United States and say, see, they gerrymandered these districts. And little did you know what they were trying to do was use that to basically get into power so that they could put gerrymandering on steroids. They had hired in 2010, they hired organizations to literally, we want to have it where 30% of the population controls 70% of the vote. And they did it. There's ways you can do it. I've actually seen and read some of the reports on how they did it, how you take dramatically districts that dramatically favor the Democrats and basically neutralize them by splitting them apart and putting just enough here and enough in this district and enough in this district and usually making one sacrificial district. Okay, fine, the Democrats can have that one, but trying to put as much of the Democratic vote in that one district while neutralizing the rest of it. These aren't gerrymandered maps. These are fixing your Republican gerrymandered maps. We send them those maps, not because they're fair, but because the people of Wisconsin deserve certainty in state government. The legislature brings an end to this sham of a litigation designed to deliver judicially gerrymandered Democratic maps to the liberal special interest groups funding the litigation, Voss said. Oh, shut up, boo-hoo. Take your L. Voss said Republicans would prove in the fall they can win under any maps. <laughs> sure you can. Because they have better policy ideas for the state of Wisconsin. Remember when you guys sold off your state parks? You basically just sold them to wealthy people so they could build private mansions on them. Yeah, good times. I'm I'm sure that won't come back to you. Um, The... Evers signed the maps to cite concerns by Democrats. A Republican's decision to pass these maps could be a trick involving a planned challenge by conservatives in federal court. Only two Democrats... Representative Sylvia Ortez Velez of Milwaukee and Senator Bob Wirsch of Somers voted for the maps alongside the Republicans. Following passage of the maps, Senate Majority Leader David uh, uh, Lemieux said that the Republicans had no ulterior motives in passing the maps. I don't know what the mischief of the thing we've done here. It's sort of rich and funny, some of the comments made by Democrats on the floor. 
Rick Essenberg from the Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty, which has frequently brought about court challenges on behalf of Wisconsin Republicans, also told WKOW over the weekend that he doesn't have any plans to file a lawsuit in federal court to strike anything down. Senate Minority Leader Diane Hesselbein uh, called the maps a huge win for the people of Wisconsin in a statement, although she said she was still disappointed with the legislative process that brought the maps forward. For me, more than a decade, issues of Wisconsinites care deeply about were largely ignored because Republicans had rigged the redistricting process. This November, Republicans will finally face a constituency that reflects the will of the people and one that will hold them accountable more than a decade of unchecked power. Senator Mark Spreitzer of Democrat from Beloit told reporters after the signing that he entrusted he trusted Evers to consider the potential and make the decision on the maps. That's exactly what he did today, and we've moved forward with these fair maps. As Governor Evers said, this is just one, just step one. We have a fight the fair process. We know that there will be more map drawing in the 2030 census. We've got to win majorities that are prepared to put a, in place a process ahead of that that will produce fair maps well into the future. Democrats had also expressed concerns about whether Republicans were trying to delay the implementation of the maps until the fall due to some language included in the text of the bill, though Wisconsin politics reported that the language was added by the State Legislative Reference Bureau. Evers said he would be asking the state Supreme Court to clarify that the maps will be in place for any special elections and recalls ahead of November. There is a vacancy in the Senate, but in the state Senate there, a Democratic seat in Milwaukee that probably should go right to the Democrats anyway. Parties of the lawsuit celebrated Evers' action, saying it represented a big win for Wisconsin. For 13 years, Wisconsinites suffered under unfair and unconstitutional maps, but today that changes. Uh, so a big change. Now, I will say that Wisconsin has fixed some things. I will make an argument that I, I am very disappointed in the Democratic Party of Wisconsin because in 2022, it blew my mind that those fools allowed two U.S. House seats to run unopposed in Wisconsin. You do that, you've basically, I mean, you've basically given up in those districts. I, I'll never forget in 2016, one of the things, and I went and hammered on this on this, on this this show back then, that I was really upset about was how the Democrats didn't run people in a lot of districts. And yeah, they were really red-leaning districts, but if they have to, be, if the Republicans have to spend money in those districts, that's less money that's going into other areas. And it was a lesson that they learned because the DFL in Minnesota in 2018, 2020, 2022 ran good candidates in across the board and including in deep red districts. There weren't too many throwaway candidates out there. You know, and there, there was, you know, gosh, I remember back in 2016, I'd be talking to, 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 to Democratic challengers in rural districts, and they're like, well, I'm not really a Democrat. I'm a moderate Republican, but the Republican Party has no chance, and the Democrats, they, they said, sure. I'm like, what are you doing? Don't you understand how that hurts your brand? You need to get Democrats out into these rural districts, and this goes for you, Illinois, as well, all the way down to that southern border you of, of Illinois. You need to basically be running a, a, a Democrat in each one of those districts because Republicans, their game plan is it, they bank on Democrats not running people in every one of these districts. So when in Wisconsin, when they took two entire U.S. House districts and did not have a Democratic leader on top of those tickets— you basically torpedoed every race underneath it. That's just dumb 
That's just dumb. You've got to do better. You have got to do better. And by basically conceding those districts, the Democratic Party is not helping your own cause. Now you've got these new districts. You would better have a person in Wisconsin running in every district, Democrats, every single one. And I don't care if it's a plus 40 Republican district. Make them spend money in that district. Because if they have to spend money in that district, that's not money they're spending in, 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 in toss-up districts. I will also add, too, that, that when they do this, in Minnesota, we have the Democrats in charge, and they pass the, 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 uh, the new maps. And what you ended up getting was a, you know, a, a map where the Republicans, you know, in, in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, just the, the metro suburbs are... They're torpedoing their chances of winning statewide. They're the ones that they Republicans are the ones who basically gave up on the suburbs and said we will win without state cities and rural districts. And the problem is in Illinois and in Minnesota is the metro areas are so large that that is becoming a less and less opportunity. And now they're trying desperately to say we're really like soccer moms. And that's not that's kind of comical. One last bit of advice for the Democrats in Wisconsin before I take the break here. One last thing. If the Senate or the House, the Assembly over there does go back to the Democrats after this election, you had better run to that Supreme Court and have them put an injunction on Robin Voss to prevent him from shredding documents, from erasing hard drives, from tossing burner phones, because I guarantee you there's tons of stuff you don't know about that's been going on that Robin Voss has been up to. So you better get that court order. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on your... Tuesday, 952-946-6205, Speaking of, hey, I was going to mention these clowns, these Supreme Court on Tuesday declined. Now, there is part of me that looks at Roberts, and maybe not Roberts so much, but definitely uh, Barrett and Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, who understand it doesn't do the Republican movement any good to basically create a situation where the Republicans are out of federal government power for an extended period of time. They're barely holding on with gerrymandered districts, a massive money advantage, and and uh, you know these 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 voter IDs and purging of voter rolls. They're barely holding on as it is. And as a matter of fact, one can make an argument they're starting to lose, especially as Generation Z gets older and, and tragically the baby boomers die off said that that they are trying i think to say you know if we do this if we go down and 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 get rid of gay marriage and we basically get rid of birth control that you're going to end up basically you know we've seen what happened when we got rid of roe v wade and in their mind and 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 i can remember they're all they said hey we're not getting rid of it we're just saying the state's going to decide thinking that that was somehow better when they knew right away that that was basically going to immediately stop a lot of people from having rights over their own bodies. Since that time and ever since then, where basically every Republican, uh, the, you know, all these special elections and the, uh, the 2022 election have gone against the Republicans, 
I think they're reevaluating. And a, a sign of that is here. The Supreme Court on Tuesday declined to take up a case on admissions at a prestigious Northern Virginia high school that eliminated standardized testing to diversify its student body. The high court last year overturned decades of precedent by ending affirmative action, but left a path open for schools to consider other options to seek diversity. The justices, so you, so you basically have a situation where they could have come on down and really, for the lack of a better way to say it, absolutely killed the ability for a school district to encourage minority attendance by and and basically saying nope you can only you know you know it's you you can't factor race in it at all uh the justices who declined to take up the case did not provide a reason of course five-star vacation sam alito and clarence rv thomas both dissented because they're bought and paid for judges at this point who are only doing what wealthy white billionaires want them to do. It's that simple. It really is that simple. Uh, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology adopted new admissions policy in December of 2020, which doesn't rely on standardized tests and diversity at the school immediately increased, according to the appeals court ruling. The Fairfax County School Board set the admissions policy for the school. Previously, admissions required four total standardized exams. Admitted cohorts were selected based on holistic review that included test scores and teacher recommendations, according to the dissenting opinion. This previous selection process, considered race-blind, produced classes with high percentages of Asian-American students, prompting action from education officials who said the student body didn't represent the racial and ethnic makeup of the public school district. And I don't know how Virginia's schools operate, but if it is in conjunction, because we have some, there are some charter schools in Minnesota that operate within the public school system. You know, like there's a Spanish immersion school that I don't think is, I don't think it's charter anymore. I think it is actually part of the school district, but for a while was operating as part of the school district, although it was somewhat independent. So I'm not sure exactly how this case may be. That sounds similar in here is that you have a school that might be a special school, but at the same time, it does follow the rules. You have to kind of work within the district. The lawsuit brought by parents, students, and the community members as the coalition for TJ against the Fairfax County School Board alleged that the new admissions policy was based on intentional racial discrimination. The dissenting opinion said the district court previously agreed with the plaintiffs, but the Court of Appeals and the Fourth Circuit in Richmond overturned that decision two to one last year. The challenged admissions policy does not disparate, uh, disparately impact the Asian American students, a judge for the appeals court wrote. The court also ruled the admission change didn't have discriminatory intent. So, um, you ha- it, you know, once again, it's it, an interesting case. But once again, I think that what the Supreme Court, and specifically, like I said, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and and Barrett, because let's face it, Roberts looks like he's actually more teaming with the other three liberal justices more than the others. They are, I think, terrified of poisoning the water hole at this point for the Republicans. Because it doesn't do them any good. A reminder that their whole argument is, well, we can't determine something is uncon. In the case of Roe v. Wade, 
we, you know, you can't have this. You, you can't have a, the courts decide this. What you need is you have to have legislation passed. The last thing they want to do is a similar situation to what you had in 1932, where FDR came in with such a large Democratic majority that they could pass anything they wanted to. And, and the Republicans, all they could do is sit there and you know give ugly stares from the side. That's what I think they're afraid of at this point, that the vast majority of people in this this country, you know, gay marriage is gay marriage. That if you go out there and you go out and try to get rid of that, that even, you know, people who are not directly impacted by that, whether they married people themselves or friends or family of them, but just regular citizens like, okay, that hasn't bothered me. Why are we, why are we changing that? Or, you know, birth control. And trust me, my guess is going to be when that Mifepristone um, ruling comes down, that it's going to basically say, no, we're not going to regulate this. Because if you did that, even though, and by the way, the, the drug test that validated it, that the Republicans are quoting, has now been rescinded as it was fraudulent uh, because they all lied about their association with anti-abortion with anti-abortion groups. So, yeah, it's that my guess is that one as well is going to be no, 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 no. You do not want to do this because nothing, nothing will wipe out the Republicans in a large scale than us going out there and really angering the masses. So. You know, this is this is what they're going to do. Although I would imagine Alito and Thomas would demand that every law that you passed has to be reviewed by us. I guarantee you, you don't you don't get Supreme Court justices for cheap. Let's just put it that way. Chicago, have a good one. We're back tomorrow. Minneapolis, St. Paul, hour two up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Tuesday, Matt and Patrick on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Uh, one thing I want to get into first and foremost is it's listener appreciation month. Uh, we have been giving away things all month long. We're going to continue it this week. We had the wheel of destiny triumphantly return yesterday. Uh, and, and we had some great winners there. Uh, we also have, and, and Sharon Anderson, I'm trying to get in touch with you. Look for your messages. Okay. All right. Look in your messages. I'm trying to get in touch with you. You are a winner from yesterday. Sharon, nicely done. Yay, go team go. Now, that being said, uh, we be, we got brand new things to give away this week. Uh, and it, it, this is just a way for us to say thank you. And we, You guys have been just special to us, and we have been so grateful for all the support over the many years. This is long overdue. We've got a full month here and some great grand prizes I still can't mention yet, but that's coming up here. Uh, but you, it's it's a chance for you to to really uh, you know for us to be able to go look at you and say thank you very much. So we got tons of stuff to give away. You got to listen to my show. You got to listen to Robert Pilot and Native Roots Radio in the uh, the five o'clock hour. Got to listen to uh, Greg Bakken and Ghost Box Radio at night. All the shows have been giving away stuff. So make sure you're listening for your chance to win. Today we have a twenty five dollar gift certificate to Great Wall Restaurant. It's pro- proudly featuring uh, Szechuan Peking Cantonese Cuisine, France Avenue, just south of 45th Street, greatwallrestaurant.us. Fantastic food. Love that place. Been a longtime supporter of AM950, and you can enjoy $25 of great food over there. Just listen for your chance to call in this hour and get yourself that $25 gift certificate to Great Wall. Good luck on that. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So I want to 
Patrick, Patrick, I mean, I'm going to ask you something. You, you don't have to answer this if you don't. Do you do you do any the 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 apps for betting or anything like that or you know anything like that? Do you do I it? I don't I don't have any interest. Uh, I do have kind of a negative perception of things like that, but so I'll just kind of let you go ahead. Well, it's you and I are similar, my, me amigo. I I'm I'm not the rush to do this. This is it is remarkable. I remember in the 80s a i think it was in the late 80s a 60 minutes article about a guy who'd moved to the dakotas to get away from gambling and he'd been there for 10 years had been a successfully recovered gambling addict and all of a sudden the gaming came in there and how he was you know he says where this is and i think one of the things they said this is just going to be the beginning this is a, if you start expanding this out it's going to go everywhere well, you know, it kind of did. Now, I would make an argument that the, the Native American casinos are basically the least we could do for the injustices to the Native American community. I think that they have the right. They can get that. that it's a way for them to, 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 to make some profit and, and have you know, good jobs. And it's, I, like I said, I don't think you could ever make up for the injustices that happen in the Native Americans. But at least it's 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 an attempt. So I don't Native American gaming. I think that that's they're owed that at the very least. At the very that's probably the beginning. I mean, come on, guys, it is probably the beginning there. We need to do more. But it was when this sports betting started coming on out that it became clear that there was a handful of very wealthy people who are trying to do this. And I and I want to be, I, I watched all those ads during the Super Bowl. I watch them all. I mean, go pull up like a preview. I'll do it right now. I'm going to do it right now on my phone as we're talking here. I'm going to pull up. This is just ESPN uh, games. I'll pull up uh, the Wild and the Jets play t- uh, tonight. Uh, they've got a night game here. As I'm, I've got, I'm on the preview for Winnipeg and and Minnesota tonight. The game odds, courtesy of ESPN Bet. Wild, um, they they I I don't I don't know how to read half these things. So they they got more on the sports bet. Uh, the what's the? Don't they have the over under on this? Yeah, the over under on this brought to you by ESPN Bet. And they've got, you know, as well, gambling apps and stuff like this advertised through the whole thing. Same thing goes for, I'll pull up the Timberwolves and the Bucks play on Friday night. And the, yeah, there you go. You got the, the spread there and stuff like that. Same thing. Gamble, 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 gamble. I'm going to give you the main reason why you should not do this is that you're going to lose money. And I watched all these ads during the Super Bowl. I watched them all. And they're all like, this is your chance. It's time to be bold. It's time to be brave. Victory is for those who seek it. I mean, that was the narrative, right? The implication is, is that everyone's going to gamble and everybody's going to win. And that's not how gambling works. Uh, far from it. Uh, gambling works the other way where it's the more people lose money than win money. And that's the ugly little secret that these people that are trying to get you to gamble don't want you to kind of kind of roll around in your head. Let me roll some things around in your head for a second. 
As the American sports betting industry continues to expand, it has reached a new high watermark, posting a record $10.92 billion in revenue for 2023, according to the American Gaming Association annual report. $10.9 billion in revenue. That's money they're making. That's money they're making. That's money. That's that's that means of all the money they took in, a huge, a huge year for the industry, represented by a forty-four point five year percent year over increase from twenty twenty-two, which previously held the record. A handle of the hundred and nineteen point eight four billion, um, combined with the increased year over year sportsbook win percentage of nine point one percent, contributed to the record. So, uh, basically, they they had. A twelfth of the entire money that was spent on them went into their pockets. As this gets more and more common, it's it's going to get worse because there. I've already read one story of a woman who's divorcing her husband. Uh, I believe it was in Bakersfield, California. It was divorcing her husband, who's basically because he, unbeknownst to her took a big bet that knew that San Francisco was going to win the Super Bowl, and so he wagered more money than they had, and so they're losing their house. And I'm going to imagine there's a lot of other people who as well decided to be bold and victory are for the people that take chances who are basically now about to become un, uh, uh, you know unhoused in America because they have bet everything on a sports game thinking it was going to be that simple to win. It's not. You're going to lose more than you win. That if I if it's just me and the sports guy and I'm betting, I'm going to lose more than I win. And sure, you could say, well, I know sports. Do you? Because uh, there's just a, how many <laughs> there were how many people in New York. Had had placed bets on the Jets, and <laughs> placed on the Jets, and then Aaron Rodgers. Oh, down he goes, down goes Rodgers. I bet you know sports then, don't you? Well, that's not my fault. No, it is your fault because you should be realizing that it's pure freaking luck. If whether or not you even get your money back, whether let alone win extra money. I mean, it's it's like these people that, and we've I've already seen this because we're about to get what I think is the best sporting event in this country, March Madness. You win, you move on. It's it's a you know sixty four teams, well sixty eight teams, but you win, you move on, off you go. And it is it 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 really is a case where. The, how many years have I seen it where the person who has never watched a basketball game in their life won it? My daughter, my daughter, when she was like eight, won because the, she liked the mascot from one team who no one else was picking. It's luck. Even the experts, go look at all the college basketball pros who pick out their brackets and watch their brackets fall apart. It's all luck. And they try to convince you you have a chance. Well, you might win one or two bets, 
but the goal is to get you to be betting every weekend. I talked to I talked to my son, and he said, "Gosh, yeah." I, I said, are, "Were a lot of your friends?" I mean, he's twenty two. I said, "Are you a lot of your friends gambling?" Okay, yeah, a lot of them do. Plus, bet, place bets, wagers, and stuff like that. I said, "You're not." He's like, "No, good, don't." There's nothing wrong with doing like a fantasy football league or filling out a bracket. I don't really have a problem with that. It's it's when you get to the point where desperation starts to kick in because you really are not good at picking games as much as you think you are. And then all of a sudden, that guy that you wagered $5,000, which you really didn't have, all of a sudden that quarterback goes down and you don't have that money anymore and you've lost that game or you've lost that season. And all of a sudden you get more desperate because I got to make up for the money I just lost and I got to do this. And you get people out there losing houses. I don't think they feel bold or adventurous or successful as they're being evicted. And I just think that we need to be careful about this because this is an addiction. People are addicted to gambling all the time. And there has been this change in America about vice. I mean, we used to be saying, don't drink and drive. We used to be, we used to say that very directly. Don't drink and drive. Whatever you do, don't drink and drive. What we say now is drink responsibly, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> get a straw? What? We don't want to, we, we, the, the alcohol industry doesn't want people to, and, and there are some people who have said that the alcohol industry saw that when you said don't drink and drive, that you were telling people not to drink and they want everyone drinking. So they just say drink responsibly, put it back on everyone else and say, hey, guess what? We told you to drink responsibly. You didn't do it responsibly, but they didn't tell you, that, you know. I'm not saying that you it, admonish, it excuses anyone's behavior by any means. No, the individual is there, but alcohol is an addictive thing. Alcohol is an addictive thing. Gambling is an addictive thing. And yet we do nothing to stop the expansion of this stuff as now we see, we're seeing the money here. The AGA, American Gaming Industry, notes that the figures are, with, with, are without Arizona and Kentucky reporting their most recent data. So it's probably even worse and more money. Another key factor was the addition of five new legal betting states, Kentucky, Maine, Massachusetts, Nebraska, and Ohio, all going online in 2023. Ohio has quickly established itself as the sports betting hotbed, bringing in $936 million to rank as the fourth highest earning state in the country. The five new states combined would bring in $1.49 billion last year in gambling. And sure, that can be just some guy... I mean, the, the way they'll want to sell it is that's just some guy in the bar who puts up his app and says, oh, I think he's going to make this kick. I'll put $5 down. Hey, I won 25 bucks. Great. Hey, next round of drinks is on me. But the reality is, is there's a lot more people out there saying, oh, man, I've lost $12,000. I, I have $300 in the bank. I, I guess I, I'll go get a mortgage and I'll, I'll wager it on something and hopefully I'll win and then I can, I can pay everything back. Because you know what? That's just as much going on as anything else. So if you are a parent, talk to your kids about this because there is undeniably a marketing appeal to teenagers to get into gambling. There is. And yeah, I, I think we are headed for a very ugly fall at this point. 
when it comes to when we get eventually to the point where we are, where this comes to roost, because eventually it's going to happen here in Minnesota and you're going to have betting across the board. And I just don't know what you do. I mean, I guess you could call me a bit of a hypocrite because I say, oh, I don't really, you know, Native American gaming, I don't have any problem with it. But that's my point. It's like, I, I didn't mind the sports books going into the Native American casinos because then you have to go there. It's the fact that you can sit in your home and wager $20,000 and lose $20,000, you know, without even thinking about it. And then no matter what you say, gambling responsibly at the end of that ad ain't going to make up for the fact that you've just lost everything. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. I'm off my pedestal. I got to get into some other stuff here involving the shooting from this last weekend in Burnsville. We'll do that when I do return. It is the Matt McNeil Show here on your Tuesday. Talk, talk, saying I'm the one that you want, want, want. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Bob is in Apple Valley. Wanted to chime in this afternoon. Hey, Bob. Good. How are you doing, Matt? All right, sir. How are you today? Good. I just wanted to add some of the to your discussion on gambling. Uh, I sat in on a murder trial several years ago, and it all centered around gambling. Really? And uh, Yes. And from the standpoint that the uh, individual who uh, killed another individual was in debt up to their butt from gambling, and uh, he was also having an affair with uh, the deceased wife, and so they killed him for the life insurance. Um, And I used to work for a company that flew uh, gamblers over to the Bahamas from Florida. Mm Mm-hmm. And we were going over one night, and I'm with the captain, and the captain gives me his paycheck. And I said, what's this for? And he says, don't let me have it. And I said, what? He said, don't let me have it. I said, okay. So I'm sitting there sleeping, get a banging on the door. It's the captain. He wants his check. I didn't give it to him. The next morning, he says, thanks. <laughs> Same deal. Wow. Wow. You know, yeah. and, 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 and t- go ahead, Bob. No, it's just, and you talked about the woman or uh, person that lost their house. Uh, a woman in my uh, wife's uh, school district, uh, she lost her house and she uh, cashed in her pension and lost that also to gambling. Mm-hmm. I think Bob and, and, and Bob, thank you very much for sharing the stories there and, and, and all my best. Very interesting stuff. You, you know, it's, as he says this stuff, you know, how many st- times do we have a story in the last 15 years? where it's some woman, some man, they basically been, um, they've been fired from their company because they did an audit and they discovered they'd been stealing hundreds of thousands, even in some cases, millions of dollars from the company and just leading a fun lifestyle sort of thing. You know what I mean? Just they're, they're leading. Oh, I'm just, they're going to Vegas and they're shopping in stores and they're eating out all the time. They, they were so desperate to seem like a big wheeler dealer that, that I wanted to be lifestyles of the rich and famous. And so they stole money so that they could fulfill this fantasy while not realizing you're committing a crime. <laughs> Indeed. But imagine what that's going to be like now. Or, you know, it's it's going on right now. I imagine that in some places where 
you know, you're you're going to start the minute all of a sudden it gets it gets legalized here. The, the sports betting gets legalized here. My guess is going to be it's only a matter of time, probably within a year, maybe two years, we will start having the news story of man fired and arrested from his company for embezzling three hundred thousand dollars. Sports betting, debt from sports betting was a major factor in his crime. I I think that it's the case. And once again, I don't know if you can stop this. I can't because there are too many people that basically, come on, man, it's football. Who doesn't want to gamble on football? Like it's some sort of make or break thing. I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But it's, it's, there are some people that this is like apparently the most important thing in their lives is making sure that they can go, you know, throw 20 bucks on an Indiana Pacers game. I, you know, good luck with that because I, you know, it's a, and yeah, I guess it's just one way to pry money out of people's hands, but I don't know if you can stop it, but I think we should maybe just at least be a, a little bit more wary of what we're about to introduce into our world. 952-946-6205. Officials confirmed on Tuesday that Shannon Cortez Gordon, or Gooden rather, Shannon Cortez Gooden, killed himself after fatally shooting two Burnsville police officers and a medic during a standoff over the weekend. In the news release issued before dawn, the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office said Gooden, 38, died by suicide with a single gunshot to the head inside a home in the 12,600 block of South 33rd Avenue. The medical examiner's office did not reveal the time that Gooden shot himself, but emergency dispatch audio suggests he took his own life around 6.45 a.m. when the officer radioed shots fired from inside. About 10 minutes later, a dispatcher notified officers at the scene that a caller from inside the home disclosed that Gooden is in the bedroom. He just shot himself in the head. Killed were officers Paul Elmstrad and Matthew Rouge, both 27, and firefighter paramedic Adam Finseth, 40. Wounded was 38-year-old Sergeant Adam uh, Medlicott. Officers said money that Medlicott was treated at HCMC and was recovering at home. Late Monday afternoon, the medical examiner's office said Elmstead, Rouge, and Finseth were all declared dead from homicide at HCMC between 6.33 a.m. and 6.46 a.m., uh, Rouge was shot in the chest, multiple gunshots hit Elmstrad, and Finseth was shot in the right arm and torso, the examiner said. Once again, this is, I, 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 I had a gun kook come out and take exception to the fact that I mentioned this had to be an assault weapon. And like I said, all you have to do is see the image of the tactical vehicle and the spray of bullets on that thing. That would tell you, yeah, this clearly was an assault weapon. It's he said, well, they could have done that with a bolt action rifle. Uh, no, not not no no no. This was an assault weapon, clearly. By the way, no details have been released on memorial services for the officer and the medic. Still, an incredibly tragic story and very sad story. Their sacrifice should not be forgotten. I have talked about how, and I talked about extensively yesterday, that if you really want to honor the memory of these men, that you should be calling for common sense gun regulations. Because we have had too many cops shot in the line of duty. And it's not something that's happening in the inner city or in the suburbs, or in rural Minnesota only. It's happening everywhere. 
everywhere, across every demographic. It is something which is these, the you know, police officers, they do a tough job. There is this mentality that if I'm a lefty, I can't, uh, you're against the cops. No, I'm against absolutism. Absolutely. But I still will look at the police and say that the vast majority of them are good people. If you're going to look at me and say Derek Chauvin was a good person, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. If you're going to sit there and, and talk about the officers who beat the living daylights out of Jaleel Stallings in the streets of Minneapolis were good people, I'm going to disagree with you. If you're going to tell me that that sheriff that was down in that one county who seems to at least it's implied that basically he he stopped a DWI investigation into his buddy is a good person. I'm going to disagree with you. The unfortunate thing is that those that those cases do exist. The reality is, is the vast majority of police officers are very good people. And what happened to these gentlemen was truly tragic and shows you how an assault weapon can turn even a routine police call into front lines in a military combat zone. There has been a narrative by the right who the second they found the image of the shooter in Gooden went, Oh yeah, here, here it is. They started going down their thing because they were waiting you know, was what you know? It was a suburban shooting in Burnsville, and when they found out that the the shooter was black, they went nuts, and they did. And I have seen it on my timelines. I have, I it is crazy, the allegations that 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 the that Governor Walls was somehow involved in this because you know clearly it's a black guy. So yeah, I guess that's their argument they're trying to make. One of the things that has been thrown about is, or two things. One is that gun laws don't work. Henceforth, this guy got an illegal gun and see the system isn't fair. Now, it should be noted, a lot of gun laws have only recently gone into effect. It is also noted that the this individual got an illegal gun and the implication is somehow he got it, I guess, out of some gangbanger's trunk in in the city, and we don't know. And I've actually said, as a matter of fact, one of the first things I said is, do we know if he didn't just get this from a store? Because even though he wasn't allowed to have guns, did the store do their due diligence? I did not know. But it was when a listener messaged me a point about how this guy could have gotten a gun. He wasn't legally supposed to have the gun, but in a crazy twist, he might have legally purchased it. I know. He might he wasn't allowed to have the gun, but he might have legally purchased the gun. I'll explain this when we do come back. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. 
So once again, with the shooter in Burnsville, there's the question of where did they get the gun? And once again, where they got the gun and whether or not gun laws work have been basically tantamount to the Republicans attacking. And by the way, I'm going to get into this more here, but I find it amazing to me that the second that they discovered who the shooter was, it became political. It became, why wasn't this guy locked up? Governor Walls is responsible. Uh, the Democrats did this blank, blank. And then when I just explained, can you believe that what these people are saying, they're the ones who are screaming, you're making it political. No, you guys made it political. And this is, by the way, and I want to call this out because this is what their modus operandi is. I'll explain modus operandi to most of the MAGA people. You know, never mind. I won't actually. It's what your modus operandi is. It's basically to accuse people of being political, of 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 political things, and then when people say, "Hey, that's political," then screaming, "You're making it political," because they want to be able to say it's Governor Walz's fault. And when you say, "Wow, you're you're saying it's Governor Walz's fault." Then they'll say, well, why are you bringing Governor Walls? You're making it political. No, you're the one that brought this up. They just want their version of political to be the reality. And when you point out their version of political is actually political, that's when they accuse you of being political. You see, they're in denial. That being said, and I'll come back to that here in a second. When it came to where the gun came from, the Republican narrative starting the afternoon of Sunday was this guy clearly bought this gun off the streets, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, we don't know how he got the gun. And, you know, he, he could have bought it off the streets. He could have he could have bought it from a store. I don't know. I mean, could, could someone have done that? Not sure. And it was when someone then pointed out, it's like, it depends on when he bought it. Because up until August 1st of last year, even though he was, and once again, I'll make the argument, the laws as written worked up to a point here because he, the guns were removed from him in 2020. He applied to have the guns back. They had a court hearing. They determined, no, he shouldn't have the guns and done. So then the question then becomes, well, the illegal gun, how did he get that? The problem here is he might not have bought the gun illegally, him having the gun was illegal, but up until August 1st of last year, he could have legally bought the gun, period. I'll explain. This is a story from WCCO-TV on August 3rd. A new law that took place earlier this week expands background checks to most gun transfers in Minnesota, whether it's a private sale, gift, or a loan. The provision, which was included in the large public safety package last year, approved by the DFL-led legislature, applies to pistols and semi-automatic military-style weapons. Anyone who wants to buy or receive one from another person not licensed to sell by the federal government needs to apply for a permit to purchase or permit to carry, which triggers a background check. Background checks already happened at federally licensed dealers, Advocates for the change characterized private transfers before the change as the loophole in the law that needed to be fixed. The new law was long sought victory for Democrats and gun safety advocates who believe the change will curb gun violence. We want to make sure everybody has 
the um, an, an obligation to verify the person they give the gun to that they're actually allowed to have it, said Representative Dave Pinto, the DFL from St. Paul, who authorized the legislation. There are some exceptions to the so-called universal background check statute. Minnesota does not... Uh, Minnesotans do not need to get a permit to, if sharing firearms among family members, like a spouse, parent, sibling, grandparent, for example, nor do they need a permit if they're lending their friend a gun while hunting together. But the rules apply to someone loans their expended, uh, extended family or friends their gun to go hunting over the weekend without the gun owner present. So they, they did change this. So basically, prior to August of last year, the private sale of a gun could happen without a background check. And if Gooden bought his gun in a private transaction prior to August 1st of last year, that was a legal gun purchase. Now it was illegal for him to own it, but technically he could buy it, which is weird, but it's the truth. The, so when Republicans scream about gun laws not working, what they don't want you to do is actually look at what could have possibly happened. Now, I'm not saying definitively this is how he got the gun. He could have got it out of the back of someone's guy's trunk. He could have got he could have gone to a store and they just didn't do their due diligence. I don't know. He could have stole it from someone else. I don't know. But he legally could have bought this gun even though he was it was illegal for him to own a gun. Like I said, weird. This goes up until August of last year. The DFL fixed this loophole. So quite literally, he could have legally purchased his gun. He couldn't have owned it. I mean, that's where he was breaking the law. But when you have such this this is why I want to go back to a point I made about guns and gun ownership is that you don't really have gun regulations in this country. You have a piecemeal system that basically has got to be basically clawed, you know, small victory after small victory after small victory, clawed to try to get some sort of cohesive gun policy. And so you have background checks, but you also have this loophole, which once again, conservatives argued against closing. How dare you punish this person? Well, the reason why is because since you're not requiring a background check for this gun transfer, that you could have someone who should not have guns technically legally being able to buy the gun, just not be in possession. But without your background check, guess what? They walk away he illegally has a gun. He illegally bought the gun, but he illegally can't carry the gun out of this. It's weird. And it was technically a loophole. So, yeah, you've got a bit of a, a, an interesting side note here, which I think needs to be factored in. And if anything, the DFL was right to close this loophole. Now, if it comes to red flag laws, here's the problem with the Republican the former Republican policy that allowed transfers like this is that you could have thousands of these guns in Minnesota in the hands of people that are not supposed to have them because they could buy them without a background check and there was no one keeping track of that. And so the red flag laws all of a sudden 
might not go into effect because they're not supposed to have a gun. We haven't seen anything come across the line saying they tried to purchase a gun. Well, how do they even know that the gun's there? If anything, what this case is exposed to me is that we need a much more comprehensive set of rules in regards to gun transfers and gun ownership. Once again, I want to be very clear. I don't know how this guy got the gun. He could have stole it. He could have bought it out of the back of a trunk. He could have bought it from a store, but he easily could have legally purchased that weapon from someone else on a transfer sale without a background check prior to August 1st of last year. By the way, a loophole that the Republicans argued should not be closed. Could be. 952-946-6205-952-946. We need to have a better system in place. I want to get back to the politicalization of these deaths by the right, which was instantaneous. And like I said, and, and, and I will uh, go back to the sheriff yesterday. I talked about Sheriff Scott Rose, who is the Dodge County Sheriff in Minnesota, who basically not even 12 hours after these officers were dead was out there basically using the death of these brave police officers to rip on Governor Walls. It is an example of something I brought up last weekend where it's your standard Republicans are banking on Democrats treating them better than they will treat Democrats. Because I guarantee you Sheriff Scott Rose at some point is probably going to have to come hat in hand to the state of Minnesota saying, you know, my sheriff's office doesn't have enough money. The county doesn't have enough revenue to me. We need a budget help. We need help. And he's going to go to Governor Walls. And at no point is Governor Walls going to say, hey, let's talk about that tweet you sent out. No. Governor Walls is saying, okay, tell us what you need and we'll help you out. Do our best here. We'll send it through the House and the Senate, see if we can get you some money. And the reason why is that Governor Tim Walls is a much better human being, a much better man than Sheriff Scott Rose is. That's just a fact. Sheriff Scott Rose used the death of police officers to make a political attack, but when he needs money, he banks on the person that he just made the political attack, get them to help him out, and guess what? Governor Walls is a decent human being and will help them out. Now, I'm not sure... I think there, there, there is this narrative within certain realms of the police that Governor Walls is against the police, which, frankly, I find to be a laughingstock. Frankly, I do. I find it to be a laughingstock because Governor Walls seems to be one of the more pro-police DFLers I can think of. And I'm not sure exactly where it is. In, in this, um, whether it was, you know, did they were they upset that he prosecuted the D Derek Chauvin people or the fact that he didn't intercede, I guess, in Kim Potter, I don't know. I think it, part of it might be residual from when he did not allow, you know, a certain individual with the Minneapolis Police Department to become the commandant of Minneapolis during the George Floyd uprising. And I think that there was some resentment towards that. 
Governor Walls is very much a pro police officer. And so I th- and, and so when I see this and I see this, you know, vitriol. And once again, Governor Tim Walls is a much better man than Sheriff Scott Rose is. Just is. Just absolutely is. That's not a, that's not even up for debate because once again the sheriff is depending on the Democrats treating him better than he treats the Democrats. And he basically used the death of some police officers to do a political attack. And so when you Republicans scream there and sit there, we never made that political, you you ignore all the political things that you yourself state. That was a political attack less than 12 hours after the deaths by a county sheriff of all the damn things. I had someone ask me a question and they reminded me of something from last year. Um, There was a shooting in Pope County, I believe it was. Deputy Owen was killed. Um, His family said this is going back to April of last year. There's an outpouring of love and remember forever following the procession. There was a live, a private burial for uh, uh, Deputy Owen. Governor Tim Walls was not in attendance on Saturday at the request of the family. Walls called Shannon Owens the, uh, to offer his condolences early last week, and she told him to not attend because she didn't believe he fully supported law enforcement. And I remember that. I remember talking about that. And I remember saying, I'm, I feel sorry for you. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for all the police officers that, that lost there, that it was a tragedy. But I did make the point back then is it was Shannon just this petty because if I had had a loved one die and I found someone who I might disagree with on a political level wanted to come by and pay their respects, I don't know if I would be like, oh, no, they cannot. I I don't think I would be like that. And. I came to the theory, and I'm not saying it was right, that there was uh, there is there is a political element to the police in Minnesota. There really is. I mean, the fact that the right wing narrative validation website got the information about the shooter 12 hours or 20, nearly 24 hours before the rest of the news media did. That is a coordinated thing. The fact that someone in the news media was allowed to go look at Hutch's car was brought into a police impound lot to basically be able to. Take pictures and roam over the car. There's clearly a political element to the police going on right now. And it's hard because, you know, here's just the governor trying to say, I want to pay my respects. And they're like, don't you come here. And all my best, Shannon, no one's putting up a statue for you in 50 years because you told the governor not to come here. As a matter of fact, I think in in 50 years, you're going to be your your family's going to be saying, well, it wasn't about politics. You're going to be trying to figure out some way to explain it. That doesn't seem so petty and small. If it was, maybe you were grieving and police elements were trying to convince you, make this a statement. Individual asked me after he reminded me of this, do you think that there are those same elements out there right now possibly trying to tell the current grieving family members to try to make a political statement and tell Governor Walls or Amy Klobuchar they're not welcome? Dear God, I'd hope not. Dear God, I'd hope not. 
I can't say for sure, though. I don't know. I would say this. I get it. There are people primarily on the right, some people on the left, who when anything does happen, they have to filter it through a political thing. And how can I use this to advance my political agenda? And it's a lot of on the people on the right that do that. And it is annoying. The city, the state is reaching out to the families and the departments of these, these heroes. We all want to grieve. We all want to be there. If there is some political element within the police department that's trying to convince these families to make a political statement on this and tell the governor he's not welcome or something, stop it. Stop it. All you're doing is being divisive. Allow everybody to grieve. It's not about the governor. It's not about this. It's about paying respect for the loss. And when I see a county sheriff that within 12 hours is using it for a political attack, and I got people asking, it's like, are they going to try to make a political statement that he's not welcome at these funerals? I'd hope not. Because at the very least, if we're decent human beings, we should all be able to grieve together without the first thing coming down being you're not welcome because of your political affiliation. That's sad. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Hey, let's give away uh, a gift certificate. That's right. We've got Listener Appreciation Month going on. Great Wall Restaurant, $25 gift card right now. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Caller number five, you will win that gift card. Good luck with that. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Congratulations to Joe in West St. Paul winning that gift certificate to Great Wall Restaurant. Enjoy that. Fantastic food. I've got restaurant gift certificates to give away for the rest of the week, so listen all week long for your chance to win. Uh, we got another one for the Great Wall. We've got Nightingale. We've got Mavericks. So listen for your chance to win throughout the week here on AM 950. One final story here before we get into the end of the show. Six people were hospitalized Friday night after a hit-and-run involving an Amish buggy. In southern Minnesota. Are you freaking kidding me? Wow. This is I can't this is the third one of these things in the last few months. This was the same road that the two kids were killed and the twin sisters conspired. Wow. Same wow. road. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Deputies from the Fillmore County Sheriff's Office responded to a report of a crash involving a vehicle and a buggy on County Road 1 in rural Spring Valley just after 10 p.m., according to KTTC. At the scene, deputies found nine people in the buggy. Six of the occupants were taken to the Mayo Clinic in St. Mary's in Rochester with unknown injuries. Of those six people, a 12-year-old and a 2-year-old were still in the hospital as of Sunday morning. They were reported to be in stable condition. Good news there. Officials later found the vehicle and suspected driver involved in the crash at a Spring Valley home. Fillmore County was also the location of the September buggy crash that left the two children uh, they, you know, passed away with two twin sisters had been charged in connection to that crash. And earlier this month, two Amish children, aged two and four, were airlifted to ICU after their buggy, buggy was uh, struck by a driver in the Hinkley area. For goodness sakes. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what to say here. I mean, this is there's some there's some major failure going on here. If we've had three of these accidents 
in a very relatively short period of time. Freaking slow down. How about that? How about we start that? And yeah, just for God's sakes, don't do this. Uh, Native Roots Radio is up next. Have a good one. We're back tomorrow with Stein. Till then, see ya.